In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to the Bass Kayak and Beers podcast. Once again on the Paddle and Fit Network. That was kind of like a lame uh, can opener there. I think it's, I'm afraid my beer is kind of frozen. I think I left it in the freezer too much, but I apologize. Usually I'd like to get a crisp pop on that can, but I guess not today. Got a Jungling. Started here in Texas. Whoops, over here. They started bringing Jungling in Texas finally. Um, I, I really love that beer, so happy to have Jungling in Texas. Awesome. Speaking of, great episode here, and we're going to be talking about the Texas Lone Star Throwdown. And I got the winner of the Lone Star Throwdown, Mr. J.R. Maccabee. I'm a huge fan of J.R. Um, I started, the first time I met J.R. Maccabee was uh, in the uh, KBBT um, uh, national, not national, the Texas, the one dedicated to only Texas, the KBBT Texas Regional. I guess that's what's the name. And uh, it was one of my, it was my first knockout stage or one-on-one tournament. And I was looking at the board, and you know, the the board had a lot of big names, and kind of my name and Jr's name kind of like came towards the end after most of the big names or at least the popular names came out. And I thought, okay, cool. I avoided going against some of the big names in Texas. I got this guy, J.R. Maccabee. I don't know anything about him. So I went into Texas Tourney, and boy, was I disappointed. <laughs> because that guy is a model of consistency. And he proved it that they, at the tournament, I think he got 89 inches. I got something like 45 inches? I, I think I got three that day. It was one of my first tournaments. It was bad. It started off good, but um, it it got progressively worse throughout the day. But ever since then, you know, I love following tournaments, especially here in Texas. And I've been watching his name in some of the tournaments that I've been a part of, like the TKC and other tournaments that I like to keep an eye on because I'm a huge fan of the tournament fishing uh, scene. And this guy, like I said, always always either in high 90s i mean high 80s mid 90s super impressed with what he's done he finally gets that big win you know always the bridesmaid never the bride kind of thing but he finally got it i was super excited when i saw his name um announced as the winner so of course i had to bring it on my show like i said i'm a huge fan of what he does and i really want to get the juice on how he manages to be so consistent every day tournament after tournament so we'll be back to a quick commercial before that check out my sponsor douglas rod go to douglasoutdoors.com check out their full lineup lrs x matrix rods again amazing rods all my rods are douglas rods and i love them and i would recommend them even if i wasn't sponsored by them other than that go follow me on instagram if you have instagram or facebook on the bass kayak and beers doesn't cost you anything and every now and then i post a picture of a fish um, that i caught 
mostly dinks, but every now and then a nice one. But anyways, quick commercial. Be right back with J.R. Mockaby. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. Mr. J.R. Mockaby, how you doing, buddy? Mm-hmm. Pretty good. How you doing, man? Congratulations. Very good. Thank you. Congratulations on the Lone Star, man. Throwdown. How'd that feel? Man, it's uh, it still hasn't quite hit me yet. <laughs> it's a good feeling. It's hard to describe, but it hasn't how quite m- hit me yet. How many times have you fished that tournament? This is your first time on the Lone Star? Uh, no, this is my second year fishing the Throwdown. I fished last year and then this year. Um, last year, I actually got fifth, a top five, but I just, you know, just out of it. And then uh, this is my my uh, second year fishing it. No surprise you got in the top five, man. It seems like you're always in the top five. <laughs> I try Except to be, on man. Lake Canyon. <laughs> lake Canyon. We're yeah. going to talk about that lake, man, because that was, I mean, spring over here got crazy with the tournaments, man. It oh, yeah. was people were putting godly numbers out there. I mean, there were some tournaments. Um, I know Cats had a tournament. Um, there was people going up like 105, 104. I know mm-hmm. um, uh, TKC had a tournament like that as well. They were like in, you know, in the triple digits. We know what happened with the Bass Nation CAC Series Championship. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, KBF at the Trinity Trail Saturday, yeah. you know, Jody Quinn, 109. I've said uh, so many times on my podcast. Uh, Guillermo Gonzalez, 110. Oh, by the way, Guillermo Gonzalez is killing out the first day of the KBF yeah. National Championship, 103. Great angler. So, JR, before we start talking about the throwdown, tell us a little bit about you. I know nationally you're not a big name, but locally, I think pre- every, every kayak angler knows when J.R. Mockaby is on the on on a tournament, he's bound to be at the top ten of the leaderboard. So, tell us for my national audience, you know, how do you got into kayak fishing? What draw you into it? And you know, what's been your secret so far? Man, uh, well, I've been fishing my whole life. You know, I, I started a uh, you know panfish, uh, bluegill, crappie. Uh, you know, my dad's always had a bass boat and that's kind of what we did growing up. And then, you know, I guess as I got more patience, we started, you know, I started transitioning to bass fishing and he's bass fish his whole life. And then we started doing some tournaments as I got older and, uh, about 2017, I, I moved down to Texas, uh, from Illinois. I'm originally from Illinois, Southern Illinois, about five hours, uh, South of Chicago. And, uh, you know, I moved down here and I don't, I don't have the, the means of getting a boat, you know, and I don't really want a boat. Uh, so kayak fishing was the next best thing. And, uh, man, ever since then, I've just, uh, I've loved it. you know, I've, I've been addicted to it, you know, um, that's kind of how I got into, got into kayak fishing really. How long ago did you start a kayak fishing? Uh, let's see, probably about 2014, 2014. I had a, uh, oh, really? a cheap kayak over in Illinois. And then once I moved into here, I actually, I work at Austin canoe and kayak there in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, I, I found my way in a uh, Hobie Pro Angler 14 eventually, and that's kind of where I have, uh, you know, stopped at. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, 2014 is kind of when I got into kayak fishing. I so you've been, you're not, you're a seasoned veteran, at least, of the sport of bass yeah. fishing in a kayak. You could say so. <clears throat> How old are you, JR? You look, you have such a baby face, even with the beard. <laughs> 27. I turned 28 in December. 27. Mm-hmm. Man. Still a young I, 
Yeah, and congratulations. We were talking on the pre-show, um, expecting you. your first boy. You have a, yes. a four-year-old daughter, and now you're getting a, your first boy here in, this, in December. Congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. We're very excited. Nice. You already have a name? Can we? Can uh, we or is it a yeah. secret yet? No, it's not a secret. We're going to name him JB. Uh, I'm actually the fourth. I'm John Robert the fourth. That's my name, JR, and then he's going to be the fifth. But we can't name him JR or John because that's my dad's name. So we're naming him JB. So nice. Yep. Awesome, man. Again, congratulations. Thank you. So, JR, what's been kind of like your secret to keeping so consistency? so consistent on every single tournament like i mean every time you're in a tournament you're always there right there to think of it man moving down here and seeing the quality of anglers we you've got to be on your toes and you've got to be on your game there's no room for fishing dirty you know missing fish here and there so so what i did to kind of combat that is just time on the water you know fishing a lot picking up on little nuances here and there um, you know, just kind of fishing the way I like to fish, really. I mean, it, it, what it really boils down to is time on the water because you pick up on little key things here and there that really make a difference, especially on tournament day when you've got multiple anglers out there. The lake's already been pressured from pre-fish last tournament. So just time on the water, you know, that's just what it boils down to. And a lot of video, a lot of research. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> that's what I do basically all the time when I'm not fishing is, you know, research on the next lake or the next tournament coming up or, you know, YouTubing it, you know, watching tons of videos looking up past uh, tournament results, just kind of getting an idea of, you know, what's going on, uh, you know, certain times. But, yeah, man, just time on the water, putting a lot of time in. Now, I noticed the on the tournaments, I noticed it when you were fishing um, the KBBT, uh, we're going one-on-one, um, -on -one, and I noticed it also on the TKC. Like, I'm one that I always looking at the leaderboard, you know, every now and then, not all the time, but I'll glance at it, see how everything's going. Um, and I've noticed that you, for the most part, you get your limits early. And then you kind of look, always seems like you're in that, you know, the mid-70s. And as the, drape, as the day progresses, you start calling and you start moving into the 80s and 90s. Is that something that systematically you do? Do you start off with a certain bait that you know that's going to get you a limit? And then you kind of, is that always the game plan for you? Not really. No, it kind of just works out that way. You know, I don't really downsize or, or, you know, throw smaller baits to get a limit and then upgrade. Um, I just throw my confidence baits, you know, from start to finish. And it, it just kind of works out where I get, you know, a quick limit here and there with, with some smaller fish and then just kind of slowly progress as the day goes on. But, uh, you know, my top water, top water is my main deal, you know, and, it, you know, anywhere from a frog to a whopper plopper. Uh, or a buzz bait but you know that's kind of how you know i start most of my tournaments you know depending on the seasonal you know time of year but yeah that's kind of what i do i don't really downsize and i don't try to go for a limit i just try to go for the biggest five you know i don't need 10 fish i just need five big ones so that's kind of what i target man it just kind of works out that way where i catch you know five little ones and then i just slowly progress through the day nice so what's been um, you mentioned like top water um, mm -hmm. other than top water any other like baits that you like to throw chatterbait yeah I'm Chat a big chatterbait guy uh, I love the chatterbait or if there's any kind of vegetation and that kind of bite slows down then punching I love punching grass you know heavy vegetation uh, we got a lot of that down here at our lakes um, yeah. South Texas but yeah that would be my my other two go tos is chatterbait and then punching. Yeah, you guys really have some nice lakes for punching. I've noticed that. Like here in North Texas, I don't get to do it all that often because there's not really a lot of um, lakes. There are a handful of lakes that you can do it, but for the most part, like nothing compared to what you have like south and, and east and southeast Texas specifically. I mean, right. every there, everything over there is punching, man. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It is. It's a big deal down here. Yeah. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the Lone Star Throwdown Mound. You had a great tournament, um, kind of like the same deal. You got your, your limit, and then you start story, slowly started progressing and calling and moving up. How how did it shape up for you? You know, What lake did you pick? We know we had Steelhouse and we had Belton. What was your game plan? What lake did you pick? You know, and when, if you at any point had to change your take, um tactics going forward so you know lone star throwdown this year you know you mentioned we could fish belton or Stillhouse. i've been on belton twice for cats in the previous years 
I'm not a big fan of the lake. I don't really like fishing those highland reservoirs, clear body, you know, clear water, uh, deep water. Um, so still houses, it, it's kind of the same, you know, a lot of deep water, but and it's super clear, but there's grass. So that was a yep. difference. And, and, and for me, you know, I love fishing grass. So it was a no brainer, which like I was going to fish, um, regardless of the size of fish, but it seems like still house had the, the better average fish, if you will. Um, so I kind of, you know, that's kind of what made me choose still house. Now I'd never been on the lake prior to uh, Thursday. So I got down there Thursday around midday, actually. I didn't get on the water till about 1230. So I, I missed what I thought was going to be the best part of the day, the best bite of the day, that morning bite. And uh, honestly, when I got in the water and looked at the uh, the uh, temperature, I was kind of surprised. It was at 80.5 or 80.6. You know, I, I really thought with these cooler nights we've been having um, that we would actually see, you know, maybe mid-70s, uh, somewhere around that. So I, I was a little thrown off by that. But, um, you know, because I felt like they were kind of maybe in that last part of that summer you know, fall trans or summer, uh, deal before the fall transition. So, you know, I just started picking up a top water really right when I got there because of all the grass and vegetation and kind of targeting the holes. And I started getting bit immediately at like 1230. So I was like, wow, if this bite is, you know, this hot right now, what is it like in the morning, you know, right when the sun's coming up. So I kind of got stuck on that deal for a while. And, uh, you know, I launched up the river, uh, there's a part called Cedar gap and I launched up there and, uh, just kind of, kind of hit those like those holes in the grass you know right on the main river channel and i was getting bit consistently i just wasn't getting the bigger bite so i was a little worried about a kicker fish um you know and i got off the water and then friday i launched there again but i went the opposite way to see which area or which side was better essentially and then i was just going to choose that on tournament day i wasn't going to try to go somewhere else i wasn't going to go to a different ramp i wasn't going to go to a different lake i just wanted to kind of expand on that area and, and try to pick up on any little key, you know, uh, things that I could. And Friday was a bust. I don't think I, I did catch one fish. It was a 20 incher, but it was kind of a, a random deal. You know, it was on a chatterbait and, and some deep grass. And it was real weird because I threw out the chatterbait and I let it sink all the way to bottom. I was in 12 foot and the grass came out to like 12 to 15 foot. It was deep grass. And uh, right before I started to reel it over, my line was running and I was like, that's kind of weird, you know, so I picked up on it and sure enough, there was tension and it was a 20, 20 and a half inch, you know, fish. I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. And you know, I didn't even have to reel it, you know, and that was in the middle of the day. Um, but that was just kind of a weird, weird, random deal. And I didn't, I didn't have any other bites doing that. Um, so Saturday came around and I knew what I was going to do. I was just going to go the, the way I went Thursday and just try to pick up every little fish I could and try to find that bigger bite as the day went on. And, uh, you know, we got out there Saturday. We launched at 6.30, and first cast was at 7, and I was sitting on a, on a point, and I think the second cast in, I had a, a 17 and a half on a frog. I started with a frog, a black frog, popping, and uh, honestly, that's all I throw is a popping frog. I never really mess with the walking frogs, especially around grass and that matted stuff because I just feel like they don't – they can't really, like, see it that well, you know what I mean, because it doesn't really displace as much water as a popping frog. And a popping frog can be kind of a nuisance around grass, too, because it gets caught up a little bit with that cupped mouth. But I just kind of work it real erratic and just kind of rip it out. And it, and it seems to just create this reaction bite. And uh, like I said, the, like the second or third cast in, I caught that 17 and a half. And uh, that was a little after 7 o'clock. And I think by 8 or 8.15, I already had a limit, you know. Wow. So, yeah, they were and they were small fish. I had like three 11 inches because we could actually go to 10 inches. So oh. I knew that that wasn't going to do anything. Um, but, you know, I had had those those three 11, 11 inches in my limit. And after I had, I had there's this major creek arm off to the right past the bridge. And that's kind of where I did all my damage in there. And once I once I got done there, I had hit all new water. Everything else after that was new water. And I had to figure out as I went because I was really banking on finding some bigger fish in that creek. And I just did not So. It's like, man, I got to go do some upgrading. So I went searching and uh, the wind started picking up about this time. It's about 10 or 11. And uh, there was these isolated patches of hydrilla and, and there's a lot of grass up there. And I, and I, it's really hard to figure it out. Like all the grass in, in a, a limited amount of time that I had. So I was just hitting isolated patches, trying to up my percentages. Mm -hmm. And I was throwing a chatterbait on windblown isolated patches of hydrilla. And I got like, I think I got a 16 and an, uh, a 15 or doing something like that. And then I was like, okay, cool. So I'm going to kind of target that. But then after those two bites, I never got another bite doing that. So I picked the frog back up 
and started to work down the bank. And then I started getting transitioning from hydrilla flats to bluff walls. And uh, the bluff walls would be pretty deep, but there was like a little uh, flat right off the bluff wall before it dropped in the channel. The channel went right up to the uh, bluff wall. Um, so there was like a five or six foot uh, right on top of that flat before it went to the creek channel. And I was just throwing a top water along those bluff walls, a whopper plopper. And uh, that got me a lot of bites. That got me a lot of bites and a lot of upgrades, but they were like little quarter inch upgrades, half inch upgrades. Um, you know, so I didn't really, I think I had mid seventies or something like that. Me and me and the top, like five guys were so close and we just kept leapfrogging each yeah. other with little quarter inch upgrades here and there. And then about 1230, I picked that frog back up and there was this, uh, this shade pocket that had an tr overhanging tree over it. And there was a little uh, isolated patch hydrilla in there. Right when I threw it in there, that 22-and-a-half-inch six-pounder just destroyed it. I didn't even move the frog. And I had been getting blow-ups all day. and But once that fish blew up on it and how much water it moved, I knew it was a big fish. You know, I just didn't know how big. You know, and I cracked her and, and luckily got her into the net. And I knew that that was like a 9- to 10-inch upgrade. So that was going to be a huge cull, you know, put me apart from the other guys. And they were going to have to do some serious damage to catch me. And I honestly, I wasn't confident with, cause that put me at like 84 and I felt like yeah. I needed another big kicker. You know, I knew, I felt like I needed over 90 inches, you know, all day long with that many guys and that many quality anglers. And based on pre-fish, like when you talk to a lot mm -hmm. of guys and, and a lot of buddies that they had, you know, awesome days out there. And uh, I was like, man, 85, 84 inches ain't going to do nothing, you know? Um, but I think I got one more upgrade after that. It was a small upgrade to put me at 85 even. And uh, I kept checking that leaderboard over and over and refreshing it because I was just like, there's no way, you know, there's no way someone, you know, and I felt like someone was probably sandbagging or holding yeah. fish. So I was really trying to get that last kicker, but it just never happened, you know. But I did catch fish consistently all day. It seemed like they were just a lot of more small. You had to weed through those, you know, 12 to 14 inch fish to finally get a good, decent sized fish. But that's kind of how my day went, man. It was, uh, it was a blast. It really was. And then when you get back to the, the weigh in and you hear everyone struggled or skunked or caught one or two fish, you're like, man, you're starting to put the, the puzzle together. Like, is 85 really enough? You know, like yeah. I didn't feel like it was, but man, I talked to a lot of people and they were just, they just didn't have any or they caught one or two fish all day or maybe three and just, so, so it started to hit me there at the weigh-in, but, uh, man, that's kind of how my day went. I, I, it was a blast. It really was. Yeah, man. And again, congratulations. Who would have think, you. you know, 85 inches oh. on, on Stellhouse would have won it, man. I was watching it all day and all day, and, I, you know, I saw Catherine Fields get a quick limit, and, you know, she was, I think, third. I don't remember the names of the other guys, and I do apologize to them. Um, there was so many, there was, like you said, there was a lot of leapfrogs and then towards, not towards the end, but like two hours before the lines out, that's when I saw your name come up. I'm like, Oh, here it is. It finally got <laughs> kind of like, um, came consistent with your pattern. You know, you got your limit early and then you started calling and 85 inches and the same thing I was thinking, man, I don't know if that's going to hold up, but everybody seems like they were struggling. Mm -hmm. Like everybody was like. I don't know how many, um, how many people actually got five fish, but it seems like there was, I don't know. I mean, how, what do you think is the reason that it wasn't like with some, you know, that more anglers didn't catch or that we weren't in the mid nineties? Um, I do have a theory, you know, I don't know if it's right or not, but, um, I think really why a lot of people struggled is just, the sheer amount of pressure for one. And when we got to the ramp there, honestly, during tournament morning, there wasn't as many people as we thought. So that, you know, there's only like three or four ramps on Stillhouse, So that puts a lot of people in certain areas and, you know, the sheer amount of pressure. And then as you get down the lake, as you go South on Stillhouse, there's less and less grass. So uh, I think that those areas that did have the grass got hit a lot and, you know, they were just, it was hard to figure out the fish down there. And for me, it was easy up there because there's just so much grass and, and that's just what I like fishing, you know, and uh, it just kind of worked out. And a lot of people, what I've realized talking to people here and there, they put the top water down as soon as that sun comes out. And I, I rarely do that, man, because I feel like especially in the middle of the day when the sun's high and it's bluebird, it's really hard to trick those fish into biting first off. But but when you're throwing like a top water bait, you can really create that reaction bite, even if they're not really wanting to fully commit to it. 
And that's kind of really what I did all day long, you know, and I didn't really see anyone else throwing topwater. Uh, they were just slowly dragging baits, you know, back and forth, especially as that sun got high. And I was running and gunning. I don't know how many miles I covered, but I covered a lot and a lot of water that day. And I think that kind of helped me as well. I just didn't slow down, and a lot of people were slowing down. Yeah, and I, and that's, that's a good analysis because I think what you touched on is it's kind of like what – you hear a lot, you know, top water. Oh, that top water is going to work in the morning, but as the sun gets high, get away from the top water. And, you know, that's not always the case, you know, and, and mm-hmm. especially on a lake like um, Stillhouse, which is a lot of clear water. Yeah. Um, it, it It's it's very different. I don't think that, you know, every lake is different. Uh, and I, one of the toughest things about Texas, especially in summer, is the clear lakes, especially deep clear lakes, like you mentioned, I'm for one, I'm not a fan of it. Um, on especially on summer, because I think, in my opinion, it's like, well, it's it gets the water gets heated so quickly, and those fish go really, really deep. And the other thing is, you, I mean, they can see you way before you can see them. Um, so they start dispersing, they start going deeper. I. It's it's interesting how you you know you stay the course and stay with the top water and I don't blame anybody for saying like no you know I would have gone out of way the top water thinking you know the water's the water clarity is there and this you know we're still even though we're in like we had like the first day of fall kind of like it got cooler but by the time this tournament went around the temperatures midweek had already gone back to the nineties. And I think that threw a lot of people off. I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know what everybody's game plan was, but I think a lot of people thought, you know, that's, you know, they're going to, I heard a lot of people saying, oh, they're going to move shallow into the creeks. They're going to start chasing bait fish where, like you said, that wasn't the case, but that wasn't the winning pattern mm-hmm. for you. It right. was more like a topwater bite. Indeed. Yes, it was. And, and, and I, I kind of thought that personally, like I said, I thought the water temps were going to be mid seventies or less and fish were going to start moving up into those pockets and toes and creeks. And it just really wasn't a whole lot of that going on yet. You know, I think we kind of just missed it really. <clears throat> yeah. I think it's still, I think now like today is, what is today? Today is, I know this show is going to come out next week, but today's Wednesday, October 13th. We've gotten a lot of rain now. Um, over the last couple of days, I think now it's where you're going to see those bass really move up into those uh, creeks. I don't think we're going to see 90. Well, it's Texas. You never know. But I don't think I don't think the water temperature is going to go back to the 80s by now. You know what? If it if for all those lakes that the water, temp- especially central Texas, all those lakes, the water dropped um, below the 80s. I don't think it's going to get back to the 80s. So I think now it's when the fish are going to start moving uh, deeper into those creeks, and now I think it's where the you know that um, bait fish pattern is going to really pay off. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, with all this rain, especially we're getting that'll cool off the water temps drastically. So I think so. And windy too, a lot of wind, uh, mm-hmm. which is typical. You know, transition weather in Texas, and I haven't lived anywhere other than Texas in the United States in the continental U.S. So I can't say you know how is it in other places, but I know like Texas. Summer is always going to be hot. It may not always be as hot. Like this summer wasn't as hot as we've seen last summer. But, you know, winter um, transition seasons like spring and and fall here in Texas, it's, you know, it's a coin flip. <laughs> you might get, it is. you might actually get on one day summer, winter weather in the same day. <laughs> so, yep. you know, you never know. Mm-hmm. So... Other than this tournament, obviously, this has this been the biggest win for you right now, the Lone Star Throwdown? Yes, it has. You know, on this kind of stage with that many anglers and the quality of anglers that were there, yeah, definitely the biggest win. You know, I've won some smaller local events, but nothing of that size now. Kind of crazy to think that you haven't won a big-name tournament right <laughs> now with all the consistency you've always achieved. Now, we were talking about this on the pre-show, and actually – the day after a tournament, I texted you, I messaged you on Instagram. You had 94 inches on Canyon, Choke Canyon Lake, mm-hmm. and you still couldn't even crack the top 10 on that tournament. How disappointed was that for you? 
very disappointing, you know, because like, like I said, that I consider that my home lake, and uh, you know, I've, I've got that lake figured out pretty well. Um, and then to come in, you know, with that many inches and, and not even be in the top 10 is, uh, that was a shocker. It really was, you know, that kind of hurt really because, you know, all these guys are cracking these fish and, and I felt like I was cracking them, you know, personally, but, uh, just not like some other people were, you know, that was a big shocker. <laughs> I, I don't know how many times that's happened, you know, here and there, but like to be in that, have that many inches and, and being the outside of the top 10 is, is crazy. But that time of the year, it can happen, especially down here, you know? Yeah, it is. And yeah, spring over here was kind of crazy. We had the snow get in, the snow get in, um, it was in February, right? And that really kind of threw a wrench in kind of like your fishing plans because kind of like historic snowfall here, would, I'm sure a lot of people, even the fish are not used to it. Us as kayak anglers are not used to seeing that weather here in Texas. So before the that snowstorm, I think the bite, that late spring, uh, late winter bite was on fire in some of the tournaments, TKC and Cats. Then we had that, and for, you know, two weeks after that, I think everybody struggled to figure it out. I know you and I were at the TKC at Lake Palestine, and that was a tough tournament as well. You, that's one of the tournaments you got your, you know, you were in like the mid-70s, like in the first hour. Mm-hmm. And then you started calling up, but... Um, still came up short but then after that you know like like a month after that i mean the bite in spring here in texas this year i mean i think it was historic i mean when you look at what happened in oh ivy mm-hmm. um possum kingdom although possum kingdom bass kayak Nash, uh that was bass nation kayak series championship that was more summer but still um some of the tournaments in especially in central texas i mean they were blowing up with 100 105 you know we already mentioned it the trinity river at saturday that was on spring i mean that was any i've never seen a spring like that here in texas before and i was talking to grant from fun and sun tackle here um the manager of the fun and sun tackle board and tackle the manager of the tackle shop and he was saying the same thing it was like man that this spring the bite was just on fire once once that spawning season kind of faded out, I mean, everything was just on fire. Yeah, it really was. It was magical, man. And I, yeah, I don't really know. You know, the only thing I can think of is maybe those fish just shut down for so long and they were so hungry. I mean, yeah, I don't really know how else to put it, but man, it was magical for a lot of lakes around here and a lot of tournaments. <clears throat> what's been your other than the Lone Star Throwdown? Which one? What's been um, one of your not just this year, but you know, throughout your kind of like your tournament career um what's been one of your favorite um lakes and trails that you fished uh well you know you kind of mentioned it palestine uh for tkc i that was the first time i'd been on that lake as well and uh, i fell in love with that lake it really sets up for a power fisherman like myself and uh i really enjoyed that lake i would love to go back to that lake when the bite was a little better because i still caught some good fish especially during pre-fish but uh, that was a really fun lake. I think that's been my funnest tournaments besides the the throwdown this year. I really enjoyed that one on Palestine. You're probably one of the few ones that enjoyed that one. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Beatdown, man. Uh, I think Guillermo, well, Miguel, Guillermo and Scotch did pretty well. I met Rolando Nandina at the bowl ramp. He and I did horrible. I, I think I ended up with two or three. I can't remember. I know it was, it was either two or three. It wasn't more than that. Um it was, I mean, it was a tough tournament. And that was like a week or two weeks removed from that snowstorm. So we mm-hmm. kind of, ex- I, I, I ran into Jeff Isham at the boat ramp. He's telling the same thing. I'm pre-fishing Kickapoo Creek, I think it's what it's called. It was, it was tough, man. Um, which, yeah. where do you fish on that lake? You went mid-lake, right? I did go mid-lake. I for, it's been a while. I forget that. Main, it's, it's the next creek above Kickapoo. It's a major yeah. creek. Um, I can't think of the name of it, but that's the, that's the Creek I was in. And I, I scouted Kickapoo, but there was so many people in there when I, you know, when I yeah. scouted it, I just did, I just wanted to get away from people. So uh, I found that other Creek that, that one, uh, above it. That's just, as, I mean, it's a big Creek too. Uh, that's kind of where I, I did my damage at, you know, in there. 
there was a lot less people. Well, there was quite a few people back there actually, uh, as the day progressed. I know, uh, yeah. Brian Howe, he was there. He was in that Creek. Um, yeah. you know, a couple other big names that did really well there that, you know, that Creek was just producing. <clears throat> what now, um, looking at, looking back now, you know, we mentioned, you know, the, how consistent you've been throughout, you know, t uh, every single tournament day in and day out. Who's one of your favorite ang kayak anglers here in Texas that you look up to or you say, man, I wish I could get at that level, if there's any that you feel that way? Uh, there is. You know, there, there's definitely a handful of men that I look up to and respect, and, and I kind of hate seeing their name on the board when you sign up, but <laughs> it, it makes me, you know, want to get, get yeah. that much better and beat them. But uh, here in San Antonio, Jake Muller. Jacob Muller mm -hmm. has been, you know, very consistent. You know, he's won Angler of the Year titles. He's won several titles. He won the Lone Star Throwdown last year. Uh, he's one that I look up to a lot, you know. Um, but, you know, Guillermo, obviously, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people would say that, you know, he's a good guy to look up to, great angler, great human being. Uh, and Matt Scotch, yeah. you know, I like what he does as well. Um, but, man, there's so many good kayak anglers here in, in Texas. It's really hard, you know, and, and that just kind of makes you strive to be that much better. You want to be up there with those guys every tournament. Yeah, it's kind of like a bitter, sweet thing. Not, I wasn't born here in Texas. I've moved about 10 years ago. And, you know, I love the, you know, the bass culture here. And I love, you know, it's, it's to me, it's bass, bass fishing capital of the world. At least bass fishing capital of the United States, that's for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, you got so many guys. It's like, man, to stand out among this group is not easy. You really have to put it. There's no way to cut corners. There's no way to get lucky on a tournament and you know get the you know get the biggest bag on a tournament because there's so. I mean, the talent level, the talent pool is so deep that it's 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 insane. It's kind of like. A blessing and a curse at the same time <laughs> yeah yeah it is and that's kind of really why i haven't really uh strived to go out of state yet you know i've, I've only been here four years but the, the the quality of anglers and the trails that are ran here yeah. there's plenty of uh you know good sticks out there there's plenty of uh great anglers that you can compete against you don't got to travel out of state to go do that on a national level eventually i'll, I'll do that but you know right now it's you know i want to prove myself in texas before i start traveling outside of it so Yeah, it's, it's definitely, but the good thing is, I think when, you, for me, when I start my first year doing tournament fishing, I was like, I understood. I'm just donating money at, at that point. I was just like, I understood what I was and what I wasn't. I'm like, I'm just here to learn. I'm just here to, I mean, I'll try to win. I'm not saying that I'm just going to go out there and give money away, but my main goal is I'm going to try to see what works, see if I, but the main thing was like, I need to learn something from this trail. Even if I learn it by myself or I'll, I'll talk to the guys at the boat ramp, you know, and ask for advice, what helped and kind of like help me piece the puzzle. Now going into my second year, then I'm hoping to win some tournaments and having the experience of fishing against guys like Mark Pendergraf, Guillermo, Matthew, it it really makes you better because when, you know, you, you can't get complacent here. There's no way to get complacent. You know, you always have to be at the best of uh, To, at your best, how do you say, at the at your A game to even try to compete with some of this guy. So going into going to a tournament with this high level talent is only going to get you better. You know, it's going it's going to elevate your game, knowing that you know that pressure is on you if you have the right mindset. Absolutely, and even like you know, on your worst tournaments, on your worst days of fishing, as long as you're learning something, you move yeah. in the right direction. No matter how bad it stings or how bad it sucks, as long as you're learning something, I think that's the key to getting better. You know, even on those bad days and those worst days that you don't want to think about, as long as you're learning something, it's going to help you down the road for sure. That's true, very true. So now I know this. Looking forward to December, you got um, new uh, member of the family coming up, and mm -hmm. then. How do you think that's going to affect your your you know your fishing tournament fishing schedule next year? Well, you know, uh, this year I did quite a few tournament trails and I was all over the place, you know, and I it was hard, you know. I felt like I wasn't doing myself justice when I'm just showing up to the tournaments and pre-fishing the day mm -hmm. before because the the prior weekend there's another tournament. So yeah. I never really got to pre-fish. Luckily, it kind of just worked out and I did decent throughout the year, but 
next year is definitely going to slow me down. There's no doubt about it. I need to be home. I need to be supportive, you know. Um, but I think what I'm going to try to do next year is just fish one trail uh, and then just kind of, you know, try to compete, you know, get in the classic, uh, whichever trail it is, maybe try to compete for angler of the year. But really just do one trail, not try to overdo it. And that way I can kind of be home more as well and actually pre-fish for the lakes that are coming up, you know, instead of trying to hit every stinking trail and every tournament there is because there are so yeah, many of them out there. Yeah, there's so many. I mean, we got, well, the Lone Star Throwdown, you know, it's a combination of all of them. You got Southeast, mm-hmm. East, um, North, Northeast, so many trails. <laughs> so many, yeah. yeah, so many clubs out there, so many. And then you got TKC, which is kind of everywhere in Texas. Mm-hmm. So, and I think there's even a um, West Coast, well, not West Coast, um, uh, West Region tournament. Yeah, there is. They have a trail, West Texas Trail. Yeah. <clears throat> so definitely you can really pick your poison <laughs> yeah you can go like everywhere yeah. what's um what's been some of you let me put you on the spot what's been some of the favorite um tournament trails that you like you fish the cats have you you fished regularly the southeast texas kayak i hit well? the, the I, hit some of, I hit some of their uh tournaments when they kind of come over this way uh, but I mainly concentrate on cats, and, uh, you know, this year TKC was a big one for me. This is their first year doing it. Um, but I enjoy cats, you know, just the group of anglers. It's it's a long tournament trail that's been around for a very long time. And then, yeah. uh, you know, this new trail, TKC, uh, the higher payouts, higher entry fees kind of uh, put, you know, um, the more seasoned veteran anglers out there, yeah. uh, I feel like. So I really enjoyed TKC this year. I didn't get to do them all of them. But I think I did three out of the five, and, and all three of those I, I did really well in. So I enjoyed that trail a lot. Yeah, big competition on those. And like you said, bigger yep. money, bigger payouts. Um, the their championship is coming up, and it's going to be two days in Welch. That's going to be exciting. I know I'm not going to be able to take a part of it. I um, you're not, You were telling me, you know, same thing. You got a lot on your plate right now. Fortunately, you're not going to be there, but... We're hoping to see what Chris Morales brings. And Andrew and God, I forgot the name of that. Uh, Joseph. T- Joseph Sanderson. Joseph. Joseph Anderson, yeah. yeah. So congratulations to the job that they've done. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, being a tournament director, I've mentioned it before, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know you're doing your job when your name doesn't get mentioned. <laughs> so that means everything's going smooth. So exactly. congratulations to what all of them are doing. Duke Tran. I think Duke Tran runs or actually organizes the Lone Star Throwdown, even though it's multi-region. Duke Tran's the one who pretty much founded it, correct? Right. Yep. Yep. He's yeah. the one that runs and, it. And he's done and I think the, all the North. Yeah. I, I think all the like the all the regional uh, captains of all the teams. I think they kind of have a helping hand as well. But yeah, Duke does yeah. definitely the majority of it. Yeah, and he runs the North uh, Texas Kayak Championship as well. So you know, Duke, Chris Morales. Joseph Anderson, Andrew Jacobson. I forgot the gentleman that runs Cats. Um, what's his name? It, the it, tournament uh, director. It's jumped around a lot. In the last four years, there's been a new director every year. This yeah, this yeah. year it was Caden uh, Passowitz. Caden um, Passowitz, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, congratulations to all four of them. Now that the season is kind of winding down, I think they did a great job. There were some challenges, of course. There's always, you know, people trying to get a little cocky with the rules and all that and that unfortunately happened but i think each one of them each tournament director handled it the best way you know and uh mm-hmm. you know and when there were mistakes done i think they were handled appropriately so chris morales again duke trend kaden everybody that's uh doing um tournament director this year congratulations to them and to all the texas kayak anglers man support your tournament directors you know, make sure you, you know, you thank them for what they're doing. It's a very sacrificing job, you know, um, and they don't get enough of the credit, but they sure get the lion's share of the blame when things don't go right. So make okay. sure we all support them and do, and do what we can, you know, to, um, you know, keep them, you know, we want to keep them engaged in what they're doing and happy. So, you know, show them your, your gratitude um, in any way, form if you can, you know, even if it's just, being a pat on the back and congratulate congratulating them for the mm. great job. Absolutely. JR, so uh, I know you're family man. I already kept you for like 40 minutes. I don't want to keep you too long. I wanted to go over, you know, you mentioned you love the top water and the chatterbait 
kind of give us a quick rundown. What's your top water setup and your chatterbait setup? So uh, I'm on uh, Team Kistler. I, I love their rods, man. And, uh, you know, for the chatterbait, I use a 7.3 medium heavy uh, fast action rod. It's actually the Magnesium 2 Series. I think that's a, a $250 blank, so it's a really good rod. Um, but that that's kind of been my bread and butter as far as a chatterbait setup. That 7.3 allows me to still, you know, throw it a good ways and then still have a lot of leverage on them fish. Because, like I said, I fish that around a lot of grass. And having that longer rod and, uh, you know, that more, that backbone to kind of get them out of that is, uh, has been crucial this year. As far as top water setups, I have two different ones. You know, I have a frog rod. It's a seven foot, um, heavy moderate action. The reason I like that moderate action, cause it allows me to one, skip the bait, you know, like up under docks, trees, yep. um, you know, just whatever kind of cover and then just be more accurate with it. And then it also allows me to walk the frog really easy cause that tip kind of absorbs it. And then, uh, you know, it allows the, the fish to really get it before I really crack them. So that moderate action really helps on that frog. Um, and as far as like a whopper plopper rod, I use a 611 um, feel and reel Kistler. It's a KLX feel and reel. It's a, a composite rod. It has a, it's a glass and graphite blend. So you still get the sensitivity if you were using something else, maybe like a jerk bait or, uh, you know, something that you kind of, you don't, or a crankbait, you know, fill in the bottom. But that glass tip really allows those fish to, again, eat it without kind of ripping those treble hooks out of the bait. Um, but, yeah, those are my two two main topwater setups, a frog and a whopper plopper. And I will throw that buzz bait on, uh, on that same frog rod, seven-foot, uh, heavy, moderate action. And I use 65-pound mm-hmm. braid for, for those as well. Good stuff, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having a rod that's heavy but moderate is not easy. Not I don't think not every um rod company out there can get that because usually heavy rods are going to be fast or extra fast but to find right. that one that's modern i know douglas rod has something like that as well where they have a heavy rod with a moderate moderate to fast action it really does make a difference when you're talking about walking baits it really does make a difference that um that moderate action versus the fast action yeah it's a huge huge difference because i used to use a uh you know a fast action with a frog and a buzz bait and i and i felt like you know it just kind of hindered the bait a little bit and then kind of hindered yeah. casting into certain areas and trying to lay it up under there without scaring fish that moderate tip really allows you to do that really efficiently and you know the reason why i went with a seven foot is because i'm not really making long long casts with it you know and yeah it's just easier to manage in the kayak you know a seven foot you know i know a lot of guys like a seven and a half foot heavy or, or even longer than that it's just you know, I'm not making super bomb casts and I'm not really needing that long of a rod. It's just easier to manage in a kayak at seven foot. You know, I'm really, honestly, I'm like on the cover when I'm throwing a frog. I'm not making long casts. I'm yeah. And it, specific target casts. Yeah. And especially when you got like uh, a lot of vegetation, longer casts, you just get you into trouble. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got, You're right. 100%. <laughs> it's kind of like I've had it where you kind of, forgot what i'm throwing i bomb it out there and i'm like ah oh, crap I'm, and i'm hoping please don't get a bite right at the at the end of that cast because now it's like if there were bass in between now where i am and that bass then <laughs> for god's sakes i hope that bass is like a 20 plus inch because i just blew up that spot completely right yeah no i've been there and i've done that and i've learned man but like the further you throw back into the grass it's so hard to get them out you know especially if they yeah. get buried and say you've got your pedal driver and now you got to take it out and paddle up to them while holding tension it's just not a good deal it's not efficient so i, I like i said i don't use i don't throw bomb casts anymore i'm kind of just more target specific and it's worked out it's worked out really well <clears throat> yeah i think bombing it out there's basically crankbait's the only thing that i'll say you know especially deep diving crankbait when you need to put that distance between you and the bait so that bait could stay at its sweet spot the longest mm-hmm. that's pretty much the only time that i will say like yeah you need to bomb it out right yeah. or like a jig you know something that you're gonna be a jig, on the yeah. bottom you want to you know but yeah something like that for sure carolina rigs as well Mm-hmm. Okay, so JR, I know you mentioned it already, Kistler, but I also wanted to give you a chance to um, shout out sponsors and, um, you know, I'm sure maybe friends and family members that you like to thank. So I, I want to give you a few minutes for that. So if you want to go ahead and thank anybody you want to thank that makes your fishing life easier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, first and foremost, Kistler rods, you know, without those rods and the sensitivity and the high quality blanks that they produce, I mean, They've helped me put some big fish in the boat, you know, and not really failed me to this point. So 
a uh, huge shout out to them, and they're made locally here in Texas, so that's pretty cool. Um, ACK, you know, the place I work for, they help me out, you know, give me uh, lots of incentives, you know, good discounts, that kind of stuff for, you know, because our gear is expensive, you know, in, in the kayaking world, it's it's very expensive, and then you got to travel and, and all these fees and tournament fees and stuff, so big shout out to them, and then, you know, my wife, you know, big support uh, group right there, you know, she takes care of the daughter when I'm gone, and uh, holds the fort down, you know, without her, I definitely wouldn't be doing this, so, um, and then, you know, I got a lot of good buddies here in San Antonio that just kind of pushed me to do better. You know, a huge shout out to to Carlos Estrada, uh, Rolanda Nadine, um, Jake Moeller, Adam S. Slack, Tyler Howell, Andrew Dixon, uh, Eugene Moore. All these guys are are really, you know, big sticks here locally, and they kind of yeah. pushed me to be at that next level. Um, but, yeah, those are, those are the kind of guys I want to shout out. Yeah, some big names out there for those uh... – in the Texas regions, we all recognize those names. So, uh, you know, it's great to have that support group. Like I said, you know, having, you know, support group of that many talented anglers, you know, surrounding you is only going to make you better. So shout out to them for what they've done as well. And also on and off the water. Absolutely. So JR, I mean, congratulations, first of all, on the Lone Star. I mean, uh, you mean, when I saw it, you know, I messaged you and I told, you know, you, you more, you more than anybody, I think, here in Texas have earned it just because you've always been so consistent. Um, you've always been a gentleman in and on and off the water. Um, you know, somebody that I consider a good ambassador to the sport. And uh, so we're very happy for you for what you got. More importantly, congratulations on JB coming up. Or JB or JD? No, JB. Yeah, JB. 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 On your kayak, you know, sitting on your lap and <laughs> casting out thing. Yeah. Next generation right. kayak anglers. Yep, for sure. For sure. But I appreciate well, that, man. man. I appreciate all the kind words and having me on here. You know, this opportunity has been great. And like I said, this, this win is just kind of, you know, it's still surreal. It's It still hasn't quite hit me yet, you know, because when you look at like the the previous champions, the title holders of the Lone Star Throwdown, you know, you got yep. Matt Scotch, Jody Morris, uh, you know, there's just some big names up there, man. And and to be, you know, Jake Muller last year, yeah. you know, just to kind of be in that conversation now is really just mind blowing. You know, I can't, I can't really fathom it right now. So. You've earned it, my man. You've earned it. Thank you. So thank, thank you again, JR. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. Man. Thank you. Absolutely. Great coming to the show. Um, for those out there listening, if you made it this far, I appreciate it. Go check out Douglas Rod, go douglasoutdoors.com. Check out their full lineup. Big thanks to JR for coming on to the show. If you're going to be on the water, please, please, especially cold water, cold weather's coming up. Um, thunderstorms, it's fall season. Anything could happen in a snap of a finger weather-wise. Wear your PFDs. Keep an eye out for the weather. Don't get caught in a bad place at a bad time. So take care, everyone. Have a great day and peace. Thank you, Armando. See ya. Thank you, Jim. Take care, man. Thanks again, buddy. I really, really appreciate it. It's an honor having you on the podcast. Absolutely. I've had a blast. Right. See you later. And you're welcome. Yeah, take care. You're welcome to come up anytime, man. Awesome. Thank you. Have a good night. You too.